Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where we talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io, which we have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days, no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.io. Let's talk about your SaaS MVP project today. Today, I have David Hollander from orderdesk.com. David is the CEO and founder of this SaaS that helps e-commerce merchants manage their order fulfillment workflow. David will speak to us about how he came up with the idea, funded the MVP, and bootstrapped his way from zero to 30,000 and beyond. How are you today, David? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on today. Good. I look forward to chatting about some uh, e-commerce SaaS stuff. We've had a few e-commerce guys on, but uh, happy to have you on the show. Why don't you just tell us a bit about who you are and what specifically Orderdesk does for your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a web developer and an entrepreneur and Orderdesk is an, it's a order fulfillment SaaS that helps our customers who are merchants fulfill their orders. So our merchants will come in with, they'll, um, we'll import their orders into our system from multiple like Amazon or Salesforce, uh, Shopify. Yeah, like like we'll pull from Amazon, Wayfair, okay. Shopify, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, okay. Etsy, all kinds of different channels. Okay. We'll pull in these multi-channel orders, and then we can route the orders at the merchant's uh, request to their different fulfillment locations. Okay, great. So is this like for dropshippers then, or is it? It doesn't matter. It's dropshippers. It, we do a lot with uh, print-on-demand, and we do a lot with people who just need to route their orders to their own warehouses Okay. or where their product is held. Okay, perfect. And um, so let's maybe go into your back. You, you mentioned that you're a web developer, like a designer. Tell me about how this came, like Orderdesk came to be. Is this like a client came to you and asked you to build this? Or did you, were you an e-commerce merchant yourself and you saw this as a problem? Or how did this come about? Yeah, so I was a web developer for years and I started getting into a lot of e-commerce and I was working with an e-commerce uh, or a, a shopping cart called Foxycart. And I was starting to um, do a lot of work with them. And I was doing a lot of work with their customers. Mm -hmm. And so I started having a lot of e-commerce customers. And one of these customers one day came to me and said, you know what I really need is I need the ability to download these orders, these, these orders that I have into some sort of platform where I can look at them, I can make changes to them, then I can decide when I'm ready to upload them to my fulfiller and I just want to make a CSV file and send that via FTP to my fulfiller. 
And I said, huh, I could do that. So um, I did that project for them, finished it up, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. I'll bet these other people that are using Foxycart would really enjoy using something like this too. So I told them, you know what? I'll host this for you. I'll just, I'll take care of it so you don't have to install this thing that I built on your servers and I'll host it for you. Mm -hmm. And then I just expanded a little bit so other people could have their own little platform so they could get in and could work in here as well. And it started out to be, I mean, people did. People like like the customers that I had and other people that used Foxycard at the time said, yeah, like this is cool. I, 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 I like this. And I started getting more requests for different things that you could do with it. Mm -hmm. So through that process, I started building that out and I started adding just more and more features to it. Okay. At that time, this was in uh, 2012. 2012. Is Foxycart still around? I've never heard of them. They are. Yeah. Yeah. They are. Foxycart is a, it's a, a shopping cart that you can drop into your existing website. So you can add, add on a cart to your website without having to install any other software. You just add a link and a little bit of JavaScript and it'll pop up the cart and everything on top of your existing website. Okay, I see. So it's sort of a light. Um, how does Foxycart work? Is it sort of like a, a you buy it or is, is it also a monthly subscription? It's a, it's a monthly subscription. Okay, and great. So, and so... You work seamlessly still with them. So from your from the customer's perspective, I guess we can get into this later, but but I'm trying to envision like where you come in and like say in that Foxycart transaction. Uh so the customer's paying Foxycart and then they have to pay you on top of Foxycart, it sounds like. So what was happening at the time is I would uh, the customer would come to me and say, Hey, I need help getting, you know, I've got a WordPress site and I want to add Foxycart, you know, I, I need to uh, set up Foxycart with my WordPress site. And so I would work with a plugin with them. I would kind of help get their website working exactly like they wanted. And now I would have this, uh, I, you know, I would was giving them this um, option to also help manage their order. So I was kind of helping them in multiple stages through their, you know, with their orders. Mm -hmm. And when it started out, I wasn't charging at all for Orderdesk. I was, I had a kind of an affiliate relationship set up with Foxycart. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of fulfilling a little bit of a hole in their platform where they didn't have any kind of fulfillment or, or kind of um, order management capability, or this was much more robust than what they had. Okay. So it was kind of helping them out as well. Okay. And then in 2012, like this was starting to really, like I was spending more time doing this than I was spending on the agency. Yeah. On the, on the agency stuff on, on actually building the sites. And one of the customers said, you know, you really need to be charging for this. Yeah. And I kind of resisted for a little while. And then I thought, you know, yeah, I probably do. So I did some more work and added on where now you could upgrade. And, you, and I think I charged like 15 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month or something. Mm -hmm. and had a free plan that didn't have any automation. And so I had a couple of, a couple of different options. And by the end of 2012, it was making like 200 bucks a month. So we're uh -huh. talking the big time here, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like definitely a side project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 That's good. So, um, okay. And so this is like the early days really of e-commerce I gather, right? I mean, there's sort of, there wasn't that many shopping carts out, were there? Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, 
Shopify was around, but it certainly wasn't what it is today. Yeah. Um, WooCommerce was just starting to be a thing. Big Commerce was definitely a Big thing. Big Commerce. There was like UltraCard, uh, XCard, mm-hmm. I remember. So is this a PHP project then? Or did it yeah. start off as PHP? Yeah. Is it still PHP? It's still PHP, yeah. Okay. Okay. So so it sounds like the MVP was really, it cost you nothing, right? Because you had a client pay you for it uh, to build well, it. And then I guess it's your time, right? Sort so you of. started You started to add on to it. You got a proof of concept. Uh, as- yeah, I mean, I mean, the original was very limited in scope, very, very small. I think I charged a thousand dollars. It was just yeah. a very, very small, simple little thing. Mm-hmm. So everything that was added from that point was okay. I'm spending a lot of time and effort here building this. So, but, but yeah, I mean, it didn't cost any real money. Just, yeah. just your my time. time, which is you know, which yeah. is you know, should have a value on it. So, but let's place the MVP somewhere around five thousand. You, you, you're making two hundred bucks at this time, it, and then you what decided? At what point did you drop the agency and go to the SaaS? I mean, how long did that take you? So that took another couple of years. Okay. So in 2013, I was starting to get kind of excited about what was going on, and I added. Amazon. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now we could download Amazon orders, which was a big deal and very complex. And yeah. I added another couple of, um, I added a Shipwire as a fulfillment service. Mm-hmm. So you could send your orders to Shipwire. Automatically. And, yeah. And then in 2013, about, about March, I started everybody was asking for different things. People said, you know, I want to do something different with my Canadian orders. I want to do something different with, if I'm sending to Chicago and I have this skew in it, I want to do this. And I just didn't have the, yeah, yeah, I didn't have the functionality to deal with that. And I started thinking about, well, if I were really to do this right, I should probably start over because this is getting to be bigger than what I had originally pictured. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about a structure, like a, like a rules engine, mm-hmm. where you could handle all these scenarios okay. totally dynamically. And I kind of mulled on it for a couple of weeks. And as often happens, I just couldn't get it out of my head. And I decided I'm just going to go for it. And I'm going to start rebuilding this thing and and really jump in. And I spent the next nine months working afternoons, evenings. I can't tell you how many nights I stayed up until 3 a.m. just (laughs) building this thing because I was excited about it. Uh And I was excited about what I was working on and I saw the need for it. So I put in a lot of blood, sweat and tears over the rest of the year there Mm -hmm. in 2013 while continuing to upkeep what had been going on, what, what I had been doing. Yeah. And at the end of 2013, it was making $1,000 a month in terms of so like, you, the customers that I had on the okay. old platform. So you brought the, the original over. Platform. So the original platform, you were slowly migrating or or was there just say, we're going to, you were still running on that. And then you just said, okay, we're closing this down. You're going to have to start news, using this. Or were you bringing on new customers? In, so you were running both simultaneously. So I was rebuilding, but the new one was a mess and it wasn't done yet. Okay. So I was like this thousand dollars a month that we're doing at the end of 2013 mm-hmm. is all on the old platform. Okay. And in January or, or in December, finally a customer said, listen, I really need this new thing that you're building that you've been talking about for months. Yeah. When is it going to be ready? And I said, ah, it's going to be ready when he's ready, when it's ready. And he said, 
listen, you just got to do it. And he was right. Yeah. I needed to just do it. So it wasn't ready. It was full of problems, but I launched it in January, mm -hmm. the beginning of the year and started bringing people over at that time. And it was important to just do it, even make though it was cut, broken, yeah. even though to just make perfect, the cut. Yeah. Yeah. And I did take probably a year to transition everybody from the old platform over to the new platform mm -hmm. before I kind of forced the issue and, and, and turned off the old one. Um, then all the effort was going into the new platform yeah. at that time at the beginning of 2014. And were you still running the agency? Yeah, I was. I was still um, taking care of my own clients and I was building things for people and doing all kinds of different different projects. Did you have a team? Uh, mostly e-commerce. Was it, was no, it no, no, it was just, just me. you. So you were just like a solopreneur, like the definition of solopreneur. You were hustling, do, run, trying to, it's not really an agency then. You were just doing some web um, development work and uh, yeah. as a freelancer. Yeah. And then you started the SaaS. Mm -hmm. You had sort of the proof of concept that's kind of making maybe 500 to 1,000 a month. Then you started the other one, finished it in around yep. 2014 or so. What was the difference between the proof of concept and this other? I mean, you talk about a rules, like what was the, the core sort of idea that allowed you to be able to handle all these um, different scenarios? So, so the rules engine is really the beating heart of Orderdesk. And it's based around the idea of events. So anytime an event happens in Orderdesk, an event could be thing, a thing like an order is imported or a folder is changed, or a shipment is added, or an order is split, or an order is updated. You could have all these different events. And then once the event happens, then we're going to run all the rules that have been created for it. And the rules are things like, if this order has this number of products, if the price of the entire order is greater than this, if it has this skew in it, if it's going to Canada or the United States or Europe, or it has any kind of um, product, like basically it can check any part of the order for any kind of filter. Does it have this text in it? Is the count greater than this? And then you can have events that are tied. If that if that filter checks out, you can have events that are tied. Mm -hmm. Move it to another folder, send to this fulfillment service, um, split the order, tag it a certain color, send an email to the customer, send an email to the admin, all kinds of different events. So there are probably millions of combinations of different filters and events and okay. things. And that's what drives the heart of it being so flexible. Okay. So at the core of it, when you launch this, is is the product still basically the using that foundation today? It is. it is. It is. Okay. So it's, it the is. idea yeah. hasn't really, I mean, it sounds to me like it's just, we made this really like, an, what's that, that one um, IFFT, which is that if this, then that sort of thing where you can come in and it's literally as flexible as you want it to be because you've got, because you're using conditions to yeah. do whatever you want. It sounds like it must be complicated from a user's perspective to, to you know, to try and onboard them because they're like, they come in and they're, I can imagine like their eyes glazing over when they're looking at the config to do that. How did you get around that? Yeah, we, it absolutely is. So 
Um, in the early days, I spent a lot of time with customers on the phone, a lot of time supporting via email, um, answering their questions. Uh -huh. You know, I have never been a salesperson at all, but what I found is that I really love talking to people about the problems that they have and being able to say, yeah, actually our software will solve that for you. Here's how to do it. Mm -hmm. And and being able to solve that that problem for customers, I have found to be a lot of fun and really, really fulfilling. So in the early days, spent a lot of time personally just helping people get set up. Of course, that doesn't scale as well, um, but, but um, part of it too, has been that as the product has matured, we've really worked on the interface to make the yeah. interface easier for people to understand what's going on. A few years ago, we rolled out a big kind of rebuild of the uh, of the face of the rule builder. So mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to set up rules and understand what they do. Okay, that's it. That, I'd like to get into that um, as well a little bit. Uh, for now, when you launched... You you launched the new product. You you brought over the other ones. Uh, you're getting about a thousand a month. Um, how was it when you launched? Was it like how was the reception um, when you launched? This is like two thousand sort of late through two thousand fourteen or so. Yeah. So so in two thousand fourteen, um, the reception was good, and I really didn't do any marketing at all. I just was letting my customers know about it and. I was kind of relying on the service or the, you know, on the, on the, the, the connections that I had with, with Foxycart to mm -hmm. as mostly Foxycart customers, but I started adding integrations. Um, when we launched, it launched with big commerce and then, um, you know, we added ShipStation and Magento, eBay and WooCommerce that year mm -hmm. in 2014. So now we have um, a number of channels that you can import from. Um, and then, um, I think, we, I think Shopify must've been that year as well. And by the end of that year, OrderDesk was making $4,000 a month. So we went from a thousand to 4,000. This is so, in 2015? So uh, uh, 14, two, okay. by the end of 2014. Okay. 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 You're two. So now it's, it's to the point where, um, it's, I'm still splitting time between my own customers and, and order desk, but it's less of just a side project hobby and more of something that is um, getting closer to a, you know, a pretty good a viable replacement business, kind of right. yeah. a viable business. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, I really had a passion for it. I was excited about it because it was making such a difference for people. Mm -hmm. And I could tell that people loved it because they were they were excited about it and that enthusiasm is what really drove me mm -hmm. um then in in 2015 in the spring i guess this is a little over a year after i i really relaunched it i just i had this epiphany i thought i realized i really have something here i think i need to go in, all in on this mm -hmm. and i decided to do that and i was kind of getting burned out on building websites and just on WordPress templating. And mm -hmm. I just, I, and I was excited about this. So I decided to just cut the cord and I started, I didn't take on any new work and I started getting kind of letting customers know they needed to, to find somebody else. And I started kind of, kind of firing customers in a way. Yeah. And I, 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 it wasn't like, I didn't go cold Turkey, but I was really moving that direction and putting all my energy and focus and time into order desk okay and how much do you think that you needed to survive back i think you're married and have a family now is that correct 
Yeah, yeah. In 2015, I had three kids. Okay. Um, and um, this was a it was a big complicated year because 2015 was a big year. I had three kids, and then my wife was pregnant with twins that year. So, so you have five. We had. You have so five, I have five now. Yeah. 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 And we had so you got and, some and so big bills. Like, you had some big bills. Big bills <laughs> yeah. And and four and, grand's and, not know, covering it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in 2015, I was spending so much time focusing on the number of integrations and, and through through 2014 and you know into the beginning of 2015, there were 70 integrations now in the system. So I I mean you can see like the number of integrations that I'm adding on yeah. a regular basis, adding lots and lots and lots. And between the focus that I did on new integrations, by the end of 2015, we had 86 integrations at the mm -hmm. end of 2015 and revenue was up to ten dollars um, $10, at the end of 2015. So now it's getting to be to the point where, you know, it, it is enough to live on and it's- And you're running this all by yourself? A viable this, business. Did you have a support person at least at this time? No, I'm still, still running this all by myself at okay. the end of 2015. Okay. So what kind of hours were you working just out of curiosity? That must have been some- it just, I mean, I would get up in the morning and I would work and until I'm, you know, not working anymore. And then a lot of times I would, I was excited. So I would, you know, be continuing to build at night and I would, you know, go yeah. off. I, I liked working in the middle of the night because I wouldn't be bothered. I wouldn't get any support things coming in. It's nice yeah, and yeah. quiet and it's I can quiet, focus. You could actually focus. And so it sounds like your yep. day was probably... You know, if you had some babies or whatever, you, you know, maybe you'd help out with breakfast, you'd get an hour in, then you'd work until, say, five or six, take off for the evening to help putting them down. And then you'd work from nine until, like, what, midnight? Yeah, yeah, I would often work till midnight, sometimes two. Okay. Um, if I was excited about something I was yeah. working on, it yeah, helps, obviously, it, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to put those those hours in if it's just drudgery and you're not excited about yeah, it. Yeah. It's just not going to do that. And so the reason you were excited is because the customers were saying, "Yeah, I really want this feature," or what was it? Or was it because it was your own project? Or what was so exciting about it? Do you think? I think it was the customers being excited about it. Yeah. I think it was. It was seeing this thing that I'm building with my own hands that's being successful. There's there's such a visceral mm -hmm. excitement to that for me. I get such a joy out of building something that um, builds on itself mm -hmm. and being able to add a feature that then 30, 40, 50, 100 people are going to find useful and needed and it's going to help them to be more successful and then help my business to be more successful mm -hmm. is really exciting. Okay. Okay. Got it. I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, great. So um, the marketing at this time, you said it sounds like you probably didn't really have time to do a whole lot of marketing, but they were coming in through these other channels like Shopify, Magento and stuff, how were they finding you? Is it like just, was the precondition that they had to have a marketplace? No, it, it definitely wasn't that. Often I would build these integrations by request of the customer. So okay. like a customer would come and say, hey, I would like to do, I wanna send this order to this oddball fulfillment company that I've never heard of. And I would say, oh, okay, well, how about if, um, you know, wh why don't I charge you 500 bucks 
-hmm. It's probably going to cost me more than that to build this, but I'm going to make the investment in building this. So hopefully somebody else will use this in the future. Mm -hmm. And they'd say, okay, sure. So they'd pay me 500 bucks and then I'd go off and build that connection. Um, for these marketplaces, uh, we're in the big commerce marketplace. We're in the Shopify marketplace because Shopify is so big. Definitely saw a lot of traffic coming from the Shopify marketplace. Mm-hmm. And, but honestly, it was a lot of word of mouth. You know, I did a lot of really careful support and people appreciated that and they would yeah. tell their friends. It was a lot of word of mouth. Is, okay. is where this really came from. And there really weren't a lot of options. So if you need this kind of thing, there's a few other competitors, but we kind of beat them on price at that time. And we also, um, the other way that people would hear about us is from our partners themselves. So like we, like Shipwire sometimes would tell their customers, you know what, if you need to do this kind of specific thing or you have these complicated needs, Orderdesk is a great option. And we would have other partners that we would work with that we would build where the where we're actually getting the the help from the the sort of the referral from the partner themselves, which helps them because it helps them make the sale a little bit easier if they their customer has an easy way to get the orders to them. Okay. Were they affiliates as well then? Um some of them must have been, eh? Or were they not? Maybe. We haven't seen a Affiliate marketing really make a huge impact. We do have an affiliate program, but we haven't seen it be something that really drives sales. It seems to be better when it's a more um, natural fit. The thing that makes me a little uncomfortable about affiliate marketing is that the, um, the motive starts to get a little bit suspect. I think it's, it's a little bit harder to say, Hey, I think you should just do this. Go use ShipStation because they're the best at this particular thing. Oh, and make sure to click this link that I have so I can get a cut of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind yeah. of undercuts the, yeah. the this bit of a conflict of interest there. Yeah, yeah. It kind of undercuts the the generosity that you're going for when you're saying, Hey, I think that this is gonna work best for your company. Go do this because this is gonna be the perfect solution for you. Right. Okay. So really just word of mouth then. And so that was probably yeah. done because um, your customers are speaking, dealing directly with the founder. You were taking care of them. It sounded like any time they wanted a customization, you were basically acting like you're still in your web developer position and selling it to them. It's like, okay, if you want this, it'll be 500 bucks. Is that pretty much rather than saying, mm-hmm. okay, well, we'll backlog this feature. And, and then it was like, it was like little small customization, still one off sort of web development projects for them. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I wouldn't do everything. Now, I I did have a, and I still struggle with this today, I want to do everything. But it's important to try to to try to draw the line and say, you know what, this is not something that is going to be broadly useful for anybody. Mm -hmm. This is so custom that it's really only something that you need. And if I can figure out a way to build it so that so that they can have it, but it doesn't mess up the product then great. Let's do that. Do you still charge them when you do that? Those sort of custom one-off pieces? Um, Sometimes. It depends. It depends. If it's something that is going to be a lot of work, sometimes we'll we'll do a charge. Sometimes we just do it. Do you you charge them? Do you actually say, or do you say, okay, I need you to buy six months in advance? You know, something like that. 
So, so that is something that we did quite a bit in the past. We would say, so what happened at the very beginning is we'd have people come and say, Hey, I need this integration. We go and build it. And then they'd say, you know what? I've changed my mind. I'm not going to use it. I'm, or yeah. I'm, I'm not going to use order desk, which of course is very discouraging. And so what we started doing is we started saying, you know what? We will build this for you. It's going to cost a thousand dollars, but of that thousand dollars, we're going to give you a five hundred dollar credit in order desk fees. Okay. So now there, or maybe we would give them a thousand dollar credit, or just a straight five hundred dollar credit with a five hundred dollar fee. So maybe they're not actually out any money, but they just have to prepay. And the nice thing about that is that we know that they're committed to order desk for a certain amount of time. Yeah, and and, and we did find that to be kind yeah. of kind of a useful thing in the in the early days for sure. Okay, great. So um. So you're at 10,000 in about 2015, 2016. Was there any point where things just really started like to take off? Yeah. So in 2016, um, one of the big things that happened is we had some customers start to come to us and say, hey, we really want to have, we want to send these orders off to our printer to have printed with this design on them. Mm -hmm. And we didn't really have a structure for that, but we were flexible enough that Orderdesk could do that. So we started formalizing some ways that that would work and started building integrations with these print-on-demand companies. And it started to become a really big deal. And it remains a, a big deal. It's probably half of a huge focus of what we do. It's probably half of our print-on-demand of our yeah. 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 Um, you know, print on demand, printing mugs, apparel, mm-hmm. um, custom, um, they're like canvases. Custom. Are they custom ones like that? So someone could come to the, let's say they, they come to the, your client's website and they say, um, you're the greatest mom, you know, Joanne, that we all love yep. you, that sort of thing. And so they would come and you could send that text message to the printer. And were you handling well, that? There's kind of two, two routes. One route is, the merchant that has 10,000 shirt designs mm. and they have all 10,000 up on their server somewhere, all, all the images. Mm. And then we get the order that says print this design on this shirt in this color and this size. Okay. And we send that to the printer. The other one is where they have built a custom image for the customer, whether it's totally custom or they've got some sort of engine that lays in the text over it. And then they give us that image and then we send that image to the Mm -hmm. printer. We don't do the actual image compiling, but we can route those images to the printer. So this became a huge part of what we do in 2016. And at mid-year, we're we're still growing. We're at about $15,000 a month now. And this is the point when I am starting to hit my limit mm-hmm. and I am doing all the support and I don't have time for doing any Development. build and I'm yeah. on the phone all the time and I'm just out of energy. And now it's time. And I realize I need to hire, I need help. Okay. And it was enormously overwhelming and I was real nervous about it mm-hmm. because I think, okay, I know how to do all these things. It's going to be hard to train somebody how to do all these things. And what if they don't do a good job? And now I have to take care of their stuff and my stuff. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's and you have hard. to train them. It's going to take time to train them. It's a classic sort this, of solopreneur sort of first yeah. hire problem. So what position was it? 
Um, so I put up an ad for a support position and, okay. and somebody that would like building help documentation because boy, I had some help docs, but they weren't great. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if people can answer their own questions, that's going to really help. Right. And, um, so in August, um, I hired my first employee and I interviewed probably there were maybe 50 or 60 people that applied, but I just had no idea what I was doing. And I talked to where, where did you, probably where did a dozen you put up people. the dad post? Were you looking for someone local or did you not matter? No, did, no, no I matter. really didn't okay. care about that. I thought there's no reason to go local. Why not just, just go anywhere so that I, cause I didn't, I didn't have any desire to have an office where yeah. people are, are congregated. I thought, let's just make this remote. There's no reason yeah. not to go remote. So um, I, uh, but um, I hired a lady who had just come from another, um, another shopping cart service. I started just, I think the first day I just totally overwhelmed her because I just dropped. I, I think I talked for like four hours straight about the system, just walked her through the whole system and what uh -huh. everything does. And it was just brain overload. But she jumped in with a wonderful attitude and learned everything. And within a couple of months, she was a whiz and, mm -hmm. and knew lots and was able to just be incredibly helpful. And we just kicked it into high gear. And um, by the end of the year, the end of 2016, we are doing 22k a month okay that's so good. how here, much did you, you pay know, her how much were you paying um her? i think i think at the beginning i think it was like i think i started her at 48k a year okay so like um, four grand a month which is a nice yeah you know that's a big hit out of your 15 right so oh for know, sure i'm sure you've got other costs and um it's coming right, basically right out of your pocket how was that transition? Yeah. And it sounds like by the end of the year, you went from 15 to 22. So you had an additional seven. So now you're, you're three over. Um, how yep. was that transition though? Well, I mean, it was nervous. I am somebody that is really risk averse. I really don't like risk. Yeah. So I, I'm always, you know, watching those numbers and I want to be in the green. I do not want to be in the red. Yeah. And, um, so I, I was watching the numbers really carefully. I was making sure that we can afford this before I, I moved forward with it. And I was just really paying attention to our numbers to make sure that we were going to be okay with this. Mm -hmm. um, but it was encouraging seeing, okay, you know, in this, in the, the, you know, in the, the second half of the year, we went up by seven. And mm -hmm. so we're still better than we were. And now basically our capability for support and has doubled here mm -hmm. so so it was, it was really a net yeah. positive so you're feeling a lot more confident what was what what happened with the next hire and when did you do it so the next hire um at this point i'm we're 22 things are going well and now i think i need some help on the on the development side mm -hmm. so i put up another job ad um I, I where are you putting up your at, job where do you at, like um, where do you like advertising to find people um i i did uh we work remotely okay they have a job board yeah Okay, so it's that's not, it's like, not, it's like an Upwork or something. We work remotely. It's like a remote job place or something. Yep. It's kind of like Remote OK or, or right. I mean, there's there's several of them now, but we've always had good good success with, with We Work Remotely. Do you like to hire um, everyone from the U.S. or do you, does it not matter? Um, I thought initially, 
I was kind of mostly looking in the U.S. Uh, just because of, of time zone stuff or time zone and 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 just uh, wanting to make sure that it's a good cultural fit, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. um, just just at the be at the beginning, but a second hire. Um, so so the second hire, we've ended up hiring lots of people outside the U.S. and have found that it's been great. Like it, it's been wonderful. And mm -hmm. mainly I'm really focused on the best person and yeah. looking for the person that's going to be a good culture fit. That's going to be a great match. So I don't care. I mean, us, not us, whatever, as long as, as long as they've got the right perspective, the right way of looking at mm -hmm. things and is going to be a good fit for the position. That's, that's what yeah. I'm looking for. And where was the developer um, from? Or what was, so, what were they uh, doing? The developer. So 2016, kind of beginning of 20 or 2017, I hired a developer and it didn't end up being a great fit. The developer was there for a few months um, and then and then left to, to take another position. Um, I think I didn't do a very good job of, of really looking for the right person or really kind of onboarding them in the best way. Mm. Um, I think learning how to hire well has definitely been a process. But, you know, it was fine and, and the developer was fine, but they just weren't, I think that remote work may have not been kind of great for them. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I think. Um, but in April, I, I rehired in the developer position and, um, and found somebody remote. I think they lived in Vietnam at the time and they're still with us and it's been a great situation um that was the second hire it was your third hire but your sort of second main employee yeah okay yeah and um so mid-year in 2017 we're at 25k a month so mm -hmm. you know kind of slow down a little bit like we just saw it, we're st we, we started to see now this trend we had enough customers that we started to see this trend where fourth quarter where you have all the Christmas shopping would send our numbers way up and then they would dip down in January and then, you know, slowly come up throughout the year. And it's a trend that we've seen every year. Now. Is that churn and then? Your actual customers are churning. They're saying, no, no. What is it then? It's not churn. It's actual volume. Okay. So because our, our service charges based on, um, based on, order volume we charge a per order fee our revenues go way okay. up when our when our volume goes way up in december and then in january volume tanks because everybody's done with the christmas shopping and they go way down to okay you know so it's like that's like, difficult to run a business you're back in sort of an agency type of cash flow model right is that how does that affect your business well so what we do is we don't look at that december number as our real number it's kind of like like like, hey, this is gravy, yeah. gravy, this is great. We're looking at our regular monthly numbers of, you know, September, October is kind of we're like, okay, this is probably like end of October. This is where we're going to come down to in the, in January. Okay. And then so we that big loop, that's fun. And then it comes down and it's always this emotional roller coaster because you know it's going to go up and you know it's going to go yeah. down. And then, um, but what we found is that we always end up you know, reaching about that December high the next September or so okay. is kind of is kind of what ends up happening. Uh, kind of we get there naturally, mm -hmm. and then um, yeah. So 
you know, we're just continuing to add lots of integrations, lots and lots. And then by the end of 2017, this is when it finally like really kicked in. And the end of 2017 is when we hit that 30,000. We actually hit 36,000 uh-huh. in, in December. And then it came back in January of 2018 to 30. And that's when we kind of hit that 30 number. Right. Um, and, and the marketing at this time is still word of mouth. You weren't blogging or you weren't doing anything. No. It was just, just literally as a homepage. And I guess you must have been getting some search traffic through like the being in the marketplaces. Were you in WordPress too? Or what was some of the biggest um, channels for you? Um, you know, we didn't really get any. It was just word of mouth. Honestly, I didn't have time to focus on that because I was so busy helping people and building things. Yeah. And I didn't have time to focus on any of the marketing and I wasn't very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, I'm just going to do what I can do and we're growing fine. So I'm just going to let that grow. I don't want to overwhelm us with too much growth Yeah. too quickly. So I'm just going to let this thing grow naturally and focus on what I can focus. And um I did think if we hired a marketer, it might really help us grow. And actually, I tried that in January with some kind of mixed success. Um, January it, of this year? Or no, no, no. Sorry, uh, January of 2018. Okay. Um, we did. Well, I guess it, it wasn't January, but um, yeah, I guess it was January. But it just it didn't go great. And um, I think in 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 retrospect, if I was really going to go all in on on marketing, I probably should have made a hire that was more i guess more experience doing marketing i was kind of looking for somebody i think that could kind of do a little bit of everything mm-hmm. instead of being focused um completely on the uh what know, would you uh, say you were spending most of your time during let's say from zero so let's talk really about 15 to thirty thousand. you're you're sort of starting to hire you have a new developer how much involvement were you still in the development side? I was still the lead developer. Okay, so uh, you're still were you spending about half your day developing then? Yeah, I was probably spending half my day developing and half in support and, support and business development. Finance and everything else, yeah. Okay. Yeah, doing doing a lot of support, a lot of phone support, still doing phone support at this time. You still do uh, it now? Uh, no, we turned off phone support about okay. mid twenty nineteen. Um it was getting to be too much because I was really the one. There were, there were kind of two of us that were that were good at it, mm-hmm. and it was so much that I just I couldn't get anything. I, done. I would just I, I couldn't get anything done because I was on the phone all yeah. the time, and the phone would ring, and it would be people that are asking questions that if they had just spent a little bit of time trying it, yeah. they would have had success. And and it's something that I still struggle with. I think there's value to phone support. And I love talking to people, talking them through their problems, but I can't do it all. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not something that we offer today. Um, we're, we are email only. And one of the things about that is it really forces people to think their thoughts through. Yeah. Um, makes, and, and, your, makes your online automated support better too, right? It does. What supports this? Would you go like with Help Scout or would you? Um, yeah, what do you we guys use, use Help Scout. Yeah, is that yeah, what you still Scout. use? Yeah. You still use them, okay? And yeah. and you've been happy with them? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a good situation. Um, yeah. 
I, I guess that Zendesk is a little more involved. You could do a little more configuration, mm -hmm. but HelpScout's been fine for us. I think there are things that I kind of wish that they did a little bit differently. I have little kind of niggling complaints, but it's fine. I mean, it's it's it works just great for what yeah. for what we need. And our um, knowledge base is in HelpScout as well, so it would be a little hard to transition away. Yeah, at this and, point. And sure. And so your first hire. Um, was she the one that was putting this? She she obviously had these really good writing skills and was mm -hmm. detail oriented. Was able to get all these help documents. If you were to say what it was during this time, two thousand eighteen, what was the thing that made your success? Like, so you, we mentioned before the show, you're at one forty now, which is you know obviously really good growth between thirty and one forty. What would be sort of that the big break? I mean, that's what the podcast is called. So what would you say your big break was? Do you have one? You know, I think the big break happened in 2019 when we were at five employees mm -hmm. and um, five, five employees and me. So that's six of us. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing uh, one, two, three, I think it was six of us. And we... Maybe it was seven, six or seven. <laughs> and um, there were enough of us finally that I said, let's get together. And everybody flew in. I live in Idaho. We, we, everybody flew into Idaho and we went up to the mountains and we spent the week together at a retreat. Mm -hmm. And I think that that retreat was the big break. Because really? that's interesting. That is when everybody really came together with a real shared purpose. And um there was so much more ownership. I think I think everybody in the company really bought in to what Orderdesk is and what we're doing okay. during that retreat. And I, I I think that was probably the biggest thing. Since then you know, we just saw numbers continue to grow. It's been a real slow, slow process. And I think over the last year, we've started to really gain a lot of momentum. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that, I think, was with the pandemic and everything shutting down and so many things going online, yeah. I think has really helped you, as so well. You've had the big explosive growth, it sounds like, was due to COVID. What were your numbers before? Like, what were your numbers in, say, January, February last year? Do you remember? So in January of um, 2020, January of 2020, we were at around like 75 K a okay. month. So you've doubled. Yeah. And then we've been going up by like 50 to 60% a year mm -hmm. for quite a while, real steadily, which is wonderful growth. But it's sort of more linear, right? It's more like sort yeah, of 10% yeah, yeah, yeah. a month and type growth. Exactly. And it's, and it's, it's always been like that, which is great. Great. Yeah. And I have tried lots of things to get it to grow faster and nothing has really made it grow faster yeah. that I've done. It's all like the compilation of lots of small things, okay. lots of little integrations, things that we did that we didn't think would make a big difference and ended up just having really good, good success. And there's so many of them. Today, we have over 300 integrations that we, that we connect to. So that's part and of your, your growth strategy is to continue with the customization. Do you still charge for them every time? You have like you know, a process for that now? Sometimes we do. Sometimes yeah. we do. Sometimes we don't. Um, so, uh, we've started to do more where we don't charge as much mm -hmm. in situations where it's it's a partnership situation. 
the reality is that the charging was always just to kind of prove that the customer was serious about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it's not that $500 is going to make a huge difference for us. It's to make sure that the customer is really committed. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's great. Um, well, I, I noticed, David, that we're getting close to the top of our hour. I, I think this has been a really um, interesting uh, conversation from my perspective because it sounds like you really weren't doing any marketing. You were It's all word of mouth. You had no content marketing, really. You weren't doing affiliates. Um, so it's, it's a fascinating um, story of founder passion that really got you to where, where you are, it sounds like. The really great customer support which of course we all hear these stories, Zappos and um, some of these others, you know, Amazon mm -hmm. really is, um, can base their uh, success on, on focusing all on the customers. Is that what you would say really led to your success? Yeah, I think that in looking back, I mean, it's been, you know, seven years now of, hard work, showing mm -hmm. up every day and putting in lots and lots of hard work and effort. So <laughs> I think that the conclusion that I've come to is that if you show up every day for something that's having moderate success and you put tons of hard work in for seven years, great, it's, it might be successful. Yeah. You, can, you can be successful. Yeah. I think that anything but an overnight success. Right. It hasn't been an right, overnight right. success. It's been lots of hard work and slow build to get to where we are today. Do you ever think of an exit or is it like way too early for that? You know, I think that um, the reality is that I love building things mm -hmm. and I love building this product. And if the company someday in the very hazy, misty future, if Orderdesk gets to be something where we are hundreds of employees and I have to spend all my time being a CEO and I don't get to ever build anything, mm -hmm. um, it, that may not be as much my passion as mm -hmm. building things. Yeah. But I also care so much about my customers and my team that I don't want, that I wouldn't want to just, you know, throw them to you know, a VC equity. firm. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, like I, that would be the very opposite of what I'm about. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it would have to be a really perfect situation. But I, I'm really not focused on that at all. I'm, yeah. I'm very much excited about what I'm doing, about the team, about about what I'm building and, and, and what we're building here together. And, you know, in the last year, we've really begun to do a lot of things that I guess companies maybe do at the beginning, you know, figuring out their mission, their vision, their values, figuring out the best ways to hire. Mm -hmm. We've made a lot of infrastructure improvements, I guess you could say, as our team is beginning to scale. We're up to, um, there's 13 of us now okay. today. It's, I mean, you're running so, it lean still. I mean, that still sounds yeah. like a pretty lean team. Um, that's great. Um well, thank you so much, David, for your time. It's been really interesting chat for me. I, I'm sure our listeners will agree. How can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Obviously, we'll have orderdesk.com in the show notes, but if anyone wants to reach out to you, how can they reach you? Yeah, absolutely. So I am on Twitter at uh, dhollander, mm -hmm. and our orderdesk Twitter is orderdeskrules, at mm -hmm. orderdeskrules. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Great. Okay. Thanks so much, David. Thanks so much, Jordy. It's been great. 
Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner. <music>